Thanks. I have to change glasses every once in a while if I need to read something. Um, I just want to start by quieting my heart and saying, here's my heart, Lord. Speak truth through me. I want to start today by just telling a couple of short mic stories. Because <laughs> you all miss them. One of the ones that I want to tell you about is last night I got a text and it dinged and away I went looking for my phone, picked it up. It's from Mike and it says, don't forget to turn your clock forward. <laughs> and I hope that today, tomorrow works out well for you. And I wrote back, I did and now I'm going back to sleep. Two hours later, I went back to sleep, so bear with me today. If I go blank, it's just I've gone to sleep, okay? <laughs> today I want to, uh, that's only one Mike story, I forget the other one. Anyway, and I can because of my age. Um, today I want to talk to you about who can know the love of God. It's come to my attention through the last several years, how important the love of God is. In fact, it's the most important thing of all. The greatest is love. Definitely, it is love. It's not one of God's characteristics. It's not something he does sometimes. It is his very essence. And because this is his essence, it also is our essence. Now there's a difference because our ego gets in the way. His, well I don't think, I don't know, I don't think he has an ego. Um, we know that by Jesus when he lived his life here, didn't, don't we? Um, so I just want to say to you and give you a little bit, um, it'll be a little bit of my story because love is experiential. It's not just what you hear and you regurgitate to pass on or to other people. Regurgitating and passing on to other people, that's not a very good term, but anyway. Um, it's, it's just accepting at one time, I just accepted what I heard. Um, I turned around and I told other people that so that they too could have the wonderful life that I had. But it wasn't always that wonderful. But we put on the face, and we continue, and we do it, don't we? Um, there did come a time when I kind of thought out, and I just couldn't accept what I was being told all the time. I had too many questions. When I was a little girl, I asked lots of questions. And, of course, the answer was, go look it up in the dictionary. Um, if I'd wanted to look it up in the dictionary, I would have already known how to spell it. So what would be the point? Um, that's why I paid a lot of money for a set of encyclopedias, back when there were encyclopedias and not Google. You know, all of those kinds of things. Um, so I learned very early that it's not necessarily a good thing 
to ask questions because people just pass you on or look at what the facts say, look at what the statements say. It has nothing to do with you going through that experience. So I want you to keep that in mind today that I believe the result of knowledge has to be experiential. You have to experience what you have already, what you've learned, what you've been told. And if you don't experience that, then maybe you need to go back and question what's been said that you're expected to just accept. Scripture talks about knowledge versus having the experiences. And I believe that knowledge without personal experience leaves us with a distant God, a very distant God. He's up here. He's far away. He's imparting knowledge to us. He's imparting uh, words, laws, and so on. And out of that, there wasn't a whole lot of love that I was getting out of that, a little bit, but not a whole lot. One of the things that it reminded me of is my father. I I think we can all relate to the father who wants their children to behave well, to do well. And that's out of love. It's absolutely out of love. It's not for any other reason, but I remember hearing my dad saying to me, Mary, I just want you to be a good girl. That's why I gave you a spanking. That's why I put you in your room. That's why whatever the consequences were for you as well as for me. Um, And it was done out of love. My experience myself was of having a mother who was very nurturing, very kind, and very loving. And on the other hand, my dad was someone who had a lot of anger and He knew how to use it to get people in line with what he needed and what he wanted. And I really started questioning what I was hearing about God as well at that time. I was questioning it because it was so much like what my father did. And that never felt good. That never brought me to the love that he tried to impart. Um... It just kind of left me empty and not feeling good. A a good example of that is I can remember um, grade one catechism. I was brought up in a Catholic home, born into it, and saved by the sacraments. And um, I can remember in the picture very well to this day, and it was a picture of God, his hand, not his face, but his hand, finger pointed, and two, a little boy and a little girl, who had a, um, there was a cookie jar there, and they're looking at it, and the little boy, not the little girl, the little boy, (laughs) was about to put his hand in the cookie jar, and it's funny, because even when I was six years old, I didn't see God's face, but I did have an idea that there was a scowl on his face, there was a real angry frown, 
And he was looking down on them with that pointed finger saying, I see everything that you do, and I am not pleased. And that stuck with me. And it was the same example that I saw from my dad. And all of a sudden, that was God as well. Also, when I was a little girl, I spent a lot of time in my room because I couldn't obey. And the more my dad would try to discipline me and get me to love, and my mother would say, he's only doing that because he loves you and wants you to grow up to be a good girl, the better I got. (laughs) So I did spend a lot of time in my room. And while I was in my room, I would take my older sister's red nail polish and paint the ladies' skirts on the lamps. I would... (laughs) I would also um, take her lipstick and draw pictures on the walls and her eyebrow pencil and have smoke coming out of all over the room, out of houses. I saw it as creativity. (laughs) My dad didn't see it that way. So when I was in my room a lot, one of the things that I did was have a friend in there. And that friend, I can't tell you if the friend was male or female. I can't tell you if there was more than one. I believe there were. But it was someone, some set of people who were there. And what they did was always love, nourish, be pleased with my pictures, laugh. I would sit with them. I just knew they were always there. They were my friends. Or he was my friend. Not sure. I just knew that I was not alone at that time. And I got to love that room. (laughs) I had a good time in it. And then along came another time in my life. And that was when my mom got sick. My mom had bowel cancer. Um, She was in the hospital for about three years, almost solid. She'd be home occasionally. And during that time, my dad, I didn't have her to kind of intervene with my dad's discipline. And all of a sudden, whoever was in my room, whoever they were, whoever he was, she was, They didn't show up anymore. I really, really felt abandoned. And by the time that I was almost 10 years old, I really noticed that even my room was no longer a haven for me, that I was was alone. I believe that that person, those people that were in that room, was our Abba. I believe that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit showed up and were there for me. And it wasn't that they never showed up anymore. It was me who said, you can't be because nobody loves me. That picture I saw, I'm ashamed of myself. I can't behave. I don't know how to be good. 
And that was kind of the start of my division with God. Um, to me, he existed in that book. He was an angry God. He was a distant God. And that's all that I knew. My mom passed away when I was 10 years old. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history on, uh, on where, um, like a little rundown on my religious experience. <clears throat> I was born into a Catholic home, as I've already said, and baptized into that relig religion by sacraments. Then I became an agnostic because that wasn't working for me anymore, the Catholic thing. It was just do more, do more, went to Mass every day, um, prayed, did everything, and nothing seemed to change my life or my feeling of loneliness and emptiness. And then there came a point when I started to embrace it. This was... This was in the late, in the mid-60s, I guess. And I started to embrace the New Age movement for several years into adulthood. But I always kept my roots in Catholicism in my back pocket, kind of like an idol that I could call on or say the prayers or whatever if I felt that I was in trouble at all. After that, I started to investigate Mormonism, um, I call them watchtower people, Jehovah Witnesses. Um, I think watchtower suits better than Jehovah Witnesses because I'm a witness to Jehovah too, and we all are. Um, and then I went back to being an agnostic again because everything failed and nothing made sense in religion. I think I need to define my idea of religion for you because there can be different, um, people, people can have different connotations of religion. Religion to me is a group. Actually, I think it's more of a country club where people get together in a place and while we're there, we act out of whatever it is that we've been told to act like and what Christianity or whatever religion you are is. And so for me, that is what religion is. Other people will just say, well, it's a denomination, and that's fine. But my definition is one of um, getting to God rather than God coming in us. Um, I believe that what I have is, is spiritualism, which can't be confused with what New Age people say, which is called spiritualism, but this is spiritualism. That, that is a better description to me because spiritually, that's who I am. That's the real me. I'm a spiritual being. I have human experiences. We're body, soul, and spirit. And... Definitely, that's who we are. That's who we are. That's who I was created to be. After I went through all of these different things, I finally came to a place where um, 
I became an evangelical Christian. And at that point, I thought I had the answer. I thought that by doing, asking Jesus Christ to come into my heart, my entire life is going to change. Everything's going to turn around. Everything's coming up roses, perfect, and so on. And that wasn't the, the case. The particular denomination that I started going to, because the person who ta- told me that I needed to get saved, told me was part of this, so that's where I went. It was very, very strict. In the strictness, there were things... Well, let me give you an example. Here's one of the questions that I asked very early in that denomination when I was there. And that was, why do women have to wear hats and stay silent in church? And men are told in the same sentence to pray with uplifted hands. And you stick to what the women have to do and make sure they do. And if they're Tierra or whatever falls off their... Mantia, not Tierra. <laughs> That's a princess. Mantia fell off their head. There was a man behind you to put it back on and give you a scolding after the meeting. I don't know why he didn't have his eyes closed and his hands uplifted, but that was never enforced. And that made no sense to me. That's just one example. I was always asking questions. And you know, the funny part is... There was one person, I think they were joking when when he told me about this, but he said that the reason why women do what they have to do and have the position that they have, um, and men don't have to pray with uplifted hands, is because one is literal and the other one isn't. And I said, show me, prove it to me. And they said, we're going to get you a book on that, <laughs> which they never did. But um, it just, it, it, time after time after time, questions were not answered. Um, they'd say, ask God. So I asked God. And the answer was different, or it was, doesn't matter. Or it was, it is what it is. But we all choose, and we all pick our religion, our clubs, our what university we go to. We all pick according to our own needs. And one of the things that um, I think is very important to know about is, let me just read this to you, because I wrote this and then I'm going, that's pretty profound, God. All right, let me just start here. Sorry, my notes. This is very small to put lots of notes on, but... um, And and it's mixed up for a minute there. Anyway, um, hold on one second. Or not. Bear with me. It's Mike's fault. He woke me up. Wait... (laughs) And I couldn't go back to sleep, so it's the man that God gave you. (laughs) Okay. 
If I learn nothing else, it seems to me that pride was the earmark of religion. I don't know if I read this somewhere or not, but if you have pride-driven methods to get the love you so desperately want and need, then you are loved by a God who is feared. Did you hear what I said? That's who my God was. He was somebody that I feared and I was so afraid of what he was going to do to me, my family, my loved ones. I, um, one of my favorite shows is Vikings because I'm a Viking woman. But I love that program and it's showing their religion and a lot and how much they're, you know, they, they, the gods controlling their lives and so on and so forth. And it's not much different than it is when we have a controlling, angry God. It doesn't matter what religion you're in. It's there. Scripture is God's love story. We know that, right? Brandon Manning um, said, it's not learning how to think about God, but actually encountering him. How many of us encounter him, or do we just learn about him and then tell other people, this is what God is, this is who he is? Or can we encounter him and know him and share that with people? Because that's love, to share that part. Another really profound thing that came to me is, his love is based on nothing. That's something that Brandon Manning said as well. And by the way, Brandon Manning was a man who died an alcoholic. And yet, they, and, and we talked a little briefly before um, the service started, David, who did all kinds of things, dancing naked and everything else, was a man of God. He knew God's love. He knew it. And so did Brendan Manning. So did so many other people that, um, you know, no matter what their life looked like, they knew him. They knew him because they knew his love. They felt his love. They experienced his love. When I say his love is nothing, or his love is based on nothing, it's not nothing, it's everything. When I say that, I think it's very important to give an example, a couple of examples. One of my mentors used to tell a story, and he actually had a picture, and Sue's seen the picture as well, I believe. Um, it's a picture of a man who was really nothing more than a head. Um, Mike Wells was on a mission trip, and there was a man who was basically a head. And he tells the story of saying to his brother, give him some money. And so his brother gave him some money, and he'd give him more money. And his brother said to him, what's he going to do, buy a hat? <laughs> <laughs> but the point being, this man, if God thought enough that it was okay for a person, a person in his image to be in this world, to come into this world, to be in this world, to be enough, and they're nothing more than a head. 
then what does that say? I mean, that is the deepest love that I've ever known. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. We don't earn it. He just loves us for no reason other than he loves us and that he is love. Um, another example of that is my son, Caleb. We had um, someone in our Bible study group one night, and it was kind of the end of the Bible study. But we were talking about God's love and the prodigal son and that story and that person that got around to the point of me asking this person who was saying, you know, no, God doesn't love everyone. There are people who are just born into this world and they're going to hell and that's the end of it. And I said, what qualifies them for that? Well, they can't accept Christ, um, confess with their mouth, you know, the ABCs of salvation. And I said to her, are you saying my son, Caleb, who has Down syndrome and other problems and is very low functioning, is not going to heaven? She said, if God, if God brought him into this world to go to hell, then so be it. And if he can't do that, then he is, yes. I said a really bad word out of shock and that was pretty much the end of the bible study we had a little division not because of what i said the bad word that i said but just in general um the whole thing she didn't agree i didn't ask her to leave maybe the one harsh word i used kind of sent her the going that way but anyway that's hers to figure out Um, it's nothing. It's not about what we can do. It's not about what we can say. It's simply God's love. If there's nothing else you get in this world, get that it is God's love. Um, So religion does play a big part in our concept of God and who he is. Also family does. And I'm a counselor. I do some counseling still. And when I do counseling, I do a personality test, which is the unique self, body, soul, and, soul, and spirit, um, to figure out wh- who they were created to be in their personality. Um, I also ask them their worst hurts usually between three and five worst hurts. And they tell me, and who brought those worst hurts? The other thing that I do is give them a little bit of a concept of God test. And it's some questions that have blanks. Um, An example would be, I am afraid God will. Do you know what the most common thing a woman says when you ask that question, you know, for you women who are here, I'm afraid he'll take one of my children. That's the number one thing that a woman will say as a result of that. Um, Without 
fail, the picture that they have of God, their God, is not our Abba, but the God that came from usually their father and from religion, or both. We come into this world with our personality and baggage, baggage in one hand, personality in the other hand. Then we develop a system of beliefs based on our needs and influences, responding and interacting to make ourselves okay. So that's what we do, don't we? I I think of one counseling situation I went into and the parents were fighting, and a little girl walking back and forth between the two of them with a bag of cookies. And she kept saying, are you okay? You're okay, you're okay, I'm okay, you're okay. And this is all she kept saying. And I said to the parents, let's stop for a minute. This little girl was about two, between two and three years old. And I said, what do you think her issues are going to be someday? Food, anorexia, overweight. But food will be that, and it will be about her being okay. That's, that's just a given. I mean, I could predict it, and I'm waiting for the day to see her. Um, not that I want to, but it's just a given that that's going to happen. When, we, when, so how can we know the love of God? How can we know the love of God? It's a process, isn't it? It's a natural process that we go through in each individual. I ask questions. You ask questions. You look at what his love story says. Look at what he tells us about himself, about us, about our relationship. No one, no one is incapable of experiencing his love. No one. Even if you deny it, just like I denied that there was, that that person ever lived in my room again. Um, he's back, by the way. And I still write on the walls. <laughs> um, there's a multitude of scripture that tells us, and this isn't even exhaustive. It's about his lo- the love of God. Forgiveness, truthfulness, endearment, disarmament, arm- armament. It's unfailing forever and ever, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding and faithful. It is a covenant of which God himself has a covenant with himself, with our love. We don't even get involved in that. It's, It's a covenant to us that he made. It's to a thousand generations. It is eternal, great, remembers and endures forever. I think it's wonderful that this isn't even an exhaustive list. My very favorite is unfailing, unfailing. As I mentioned about, um, briefly about David and his behavior, and we look at it, and there's Bathsheba. Oh, he has a whole list of, checking off what he's done wrong and so on and so forth. And yet God's love was unfailing. 
he, another person is Brandon Manning. I mean, it just blows me away. Again, man who was died an alcoholic, died of his alcoholism. There were natural results of what he did. However, nobody that I've ever read has shown me the depths of God's love, and that's where I learned a lot about his love was from reading Brandon Manning. Um, there's many other people as well. There's many examples probably in this room, I'm sure, of God's love. Jesus will, will even come into hell for us. There's a verse that says that. Can you imagine? He'd even come into hell for us. He comes into my daily hell all the time. Day after day after day, he's there. As a matter of fact, um, someone that um, I really appreciate, a theologian, uh, Baxter Kruger, had said um, that he actually comes into our garbage can. Or sometimes one of the things that it makes me think of is... um, I remember people saying, well, Mary, you may be going to heaven, but I'm sure you're going to be cleaning toilets in heaven. And now I say that that is where God, that's where Jesus comes into. He actually comes into our toilets. And I I have a little saying for that. um, The word... um, Biblically, is scubala, but it's holy, scubala. <laughs> and very definitely, um, that's what I call it. He, he comes into the depths of our, of our stuff, of our junk, of our daily life, good, bad, indifferent, and he just puts his arm around us. Sometimes he says, Mary, do you really need to write on that wall? And I go, well, I know I shouldn't and I want to, but okay, maybe I won't because it's gentle. He never speaks harshly. He never tells me things that will make me upset or angry or feel shame. And when I say to him, yeah, I know I shouldn't write on that wall, but you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. And he says, well, okay, let's go. (laughs) And he comes with me when I do it because he never leaves me or forsakes me. We're one. He's here. He's there. He's everywhere. I want to just kind of finish right now, and I was worried that I'd only do 10 minutes. I want to change my glasses And I want to just, as a parting prayer to you, I just want to read this, okay? It's Ephesians 3, starting at 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, and that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through a spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, 
may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of God of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen I don't know if we have a song, but on my way here today, a song went through my mind when I thought of the love of God, and we've got a thumbs up. It's a go. So the words are going to be up on the screen, and I want you to just meditate on them, think about them, dance, enjoy. Thank you very much. <laughs>